0: Well, welcome again to Christ Church Milwaukee. My name is John. I'm the pastor here. I hope to get a chance to meet you. If I haven't met you yet, uh, welcome. We're glad to celebrate Advent with you as we kick off this new season here. We're taking a break from Galatians. We're going to be looking at, uh, obviously, some of the, the Christmas story as we know it, the records of Jesus coming into the world from the Gospels and Advent, as we've already said, is this season that covers the the four weeks, the four Sundays that lead up to Christmas Day. Uh, And it's a season, as has already been said by Calvin, of preparation, contemplation, of adoration. It's really a chance for us to be quiet, to to quiet our hearts, to quiet our minds. uh, As we're going to see in the case of Zechariah this morning, maybe to quiet our mouths uh, and to reflect. And to consider what what it means that God would come into the world. This thing that we call the incarnation. uh, This idea that the second person of the Trinity would, would empty himself of all glory. Of all power. Of all privilege. And that he would be born in human likeness like us. Taking the form of a servant. And that in that form he would actually give himself over to death. That is the miracle of the incarnation. That's what we celebrate Every year at Advent. I think it's also important and worth reminding ourselves of what uh, the word itself means. Advent just simply means the, the coming or arrival, particularly of someone or something of importance. And obviously that is related to Christ and that is important for us to keep in mind. But it's also as we think about Advent, the coming and the arrival, to keep in mind of what the church believes and has always believed from the beginning about Advent. That there are actually two Advents. And right now, today, in this very moment, with Christians around the world, we are living in the middle of those two advents. The first is what we typically think of when we think of Christmas, Jesus coming into the world, the manger scene, the shepherds, the angels, all those good things. And then now, we are living in that in-between time, in-between the two advents of, of Christ's second coming, his second advent, when he will come not in humility and, and weakness and in the form of a baby, he will come in glory and power, executing justice on the earth, calling his people to himself, preparing them for His arrival. And this is what we're going to be talking about throughout this shorter series uh, of advent through the gospel of Luke. We're going to spend our time in Luke's gospel, and as he uh, tells us, we're going to see, not only through the announcement of Jesus' birth and the actual birth itself, but through what we'll see this morning, the announcement of John the Baptist's birth, preparing for that, the foretelling of that, and then the birth of John himself. We're going to see that all of these things are meant to prepare us, to prepare the people of God for the arrival of Jesus into this world. And so that's what we're going to be looking at throughout our time in Advent in the next few weeks through the Gospel of Luke. And so our hope this season in our examination of Luke's story, of telling of this story, is that that we, again, would be a people prepared, that our hearts would be prepared to receive the Messiah, to receive him as Messiah, and all the good that he brings into the world with his coming into this world. Now, as we uh, said at the very beginning, Advent is a season of, of contemplation, of adoration, Of reflection, and so in keeping with that in an effort to try to help us consider that posture, uh, my hope is that we would take on that posture of adoration and contemplation like Mary does, like Elizabeth does, uh, the shepherds, others throughout the story of the gospel account of Jesus' birth. And that we would treasure these things up in our hearts, so we would ponder them in our hearts. And so I say that to say, the next few weeks, uh, our sermon series is going to feel a little bit different. It's not going to be uh, a verse-by-verse exposition, necessarily, of these scriptures. It's going to be more reflective. It's going to be more observation for us and some things for us to consider about what it would look like for us to just recognize what the scriptures are telling us and then to sit with it and consider it and to ponder it up in our hearts. So, with that in mind, I'm going to read for us our first reading from the Gospel of Luke. You can find it on page 11 of the bulletin, if you have one of those. If you want to use the pew Bible that's the bottom of the chair in front of you, on page 802, you can find Luke chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 5 and read through verse 25. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, it says this, In the days of Herod, king of Judah, And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision of the t- in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me, to take away my reproach among people. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you sent your word into this world, not only in written form in the scriptures, but ultimately the word becoming flesh and making his dwelling among us pray that we would see his glory this morning, that our hearts would be open, receptive, humble, and soft to receive the good that you have for us, that we would be a people prepared, ready for when our Lord and King comes in glory, uh, even this Christmas season, we will be hopeful and joyful and expectant. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen just wanna highlight four things, four observations from this text for us this morning. I think they're worth our attention and I'll list them for you. They're not in the bulletin but you can write them down if you're a note taker and we'll look at them in turn. The first observation is this, the righteous and godly are not immune to sadness and sorrow and heartache. The righteous and godly are not immune to sadness and sorrow and heartache. Right out of the gate, we learn two important things about Zachariah and Elizabeth here, don't we? That um, they love the Lord, they follow his statutes, his commands, his rules, his laws, and that they are childless, they have no children, they have no offspring, no sons, no daughters. And it's not quite as obvious to us in the text, but, but Luke drops in a number of clues throughout this passage um, that tell us that Zachariah and Elizabeth were carrying a fair amount of sadness, and grief and sorrow and heartache with them. As we've already said, we know that they're older, they have no children. Uh, Perhaps they had been living and wrestling with infertility. Perhaps they'd even experienced uh, maybe one or more miscarriages. In fact, some scholars say that may have been the case when we see at the end of this passage that Elizabeth kept herself hidden for five months until she knew that she may be past that window of uncertainty with carrying a child. We know that Elizabeth had been living with some level of reproach. That's an interesting word that Luke uses there. It essentially means disgrace or scorn or shame that the people were looking on her in that way because she wasn't able to have children. And we know that from Gabriel, Gabriel is actually the one who tells us this, not Zachariah and not Elizabeth, but we know that from what Gabriel says, this couple had been praying for a long time to have a child. And what that means is that they had been praying for a long time and those prayers had not been answered up until this point. So they've been living with this burden of, of unanswered prayer. They've been carrying it for quite a while. And if we just pause right here, I wonder if there are any of us here this morning that can relate to these two people. To, to Zachariah and Elizabeth. You've been wanting to follow the Lord, walk in His ways, honor Him with your life, with your work as you're just carrying sadness and sorrow and heartache and grief and any number of other emotions. Maybe some of you can relate to that this morning. And it's important to note from this culture that Zachariah and Elizabeth were living in that, that being without a child at their age, it would have been the cause of great questioning from your community. Like serious questions, like what did they do to deserve such shame. What what secret sins were they hiding that, that God couldn't forgive or, or wasn't going to act upon? Especially Zechariah, a priest of all people, right? I mean, what kind of secrets was he keeping that this man of God wasn't able to have a kid? I mean, Eli in the Old Testament had terrible sons, if you remember that story, but, but at least Eli had sons. <laughs> Samuel's kids, right? They left the reservation too, but, but at least Samuel had kids. This is all of the noise, all of the background that's happening here in this story as we meet Zechariah and Elizabeth. And this kind of sadness, this kind of sorrow, these kind of burdens can, can eat away at what I might call our, our, our hope reserves, Right the, the hope that we have in our reserve, in our tank, and, and this kind of burden, these kind of sadnesses and sorrows that we carry with us, they can deplete that, can't they? And when that happens, what begins to happen in our own lives is that our imaginations become stunted. They become dull. We miss the wonder and the amazement of, of the new thing that God might be doing when our hope reserves are on empty. We may miss God showing up in person. Showing up at our house, showing up at our place of work, wherever it is that he chooses to appear. And Zechariah's sorrow and his sadness, his discouragement, I think, had depleted his hope reserves, in a sense. And it's evidenced, I think, in many ways by his response to Gabriel's announcement. This angel comes to him, standing next to the altar of incense, and gives this incredible announcement, Right? son is going to be born to you. Your your prayers are answered. Great things are going to happen. You'll have joy. You'll have gladness. And and what does Zechariah say? Right. All he can really muster in response to this great news that comes to him is essentially, if we're paraphrasing, um, says who? H- how do I know? How do I know that this is going to happen? And his response, while it does display a lack of faith, really follows in a long line of other people of God that have come before him. If you remember some of these accounts, people dealing with maybe their own source of heartache or loss or sadness or grief, particularly when it comes to children. And think about Abraham and Sarah. God comes and delivers this incredible news. And what do they do? They laugh. They laugh at God. It is such, such a funny, hilarious thing to them that God would try to do something like that, that they laugh. Or do you remember Moses and his calling in Exodus 3 and Exodus 4? Where God says, You're my man, Moses. You're going to be the one who's going to go and speak to Pharaoh and, and bring deliverance for my people. And Moses essentially says, God, I think you got the wrong guy. That's not me. Or think about Gideon in the book of Judges who set out the fleece to test God to see if this was really actually what God was going to do. And he did that on multiple occasions. Or Peter on the boat who says, Lord, if it is really you, do something for me. Let me come out on the water. Or Thomas, even after the resurrection. I'm not going to believe until I see. Right, And so on and so forth. We see that Zechariah is really in many ways following this long line of questioning because his hope reserve had been depleted. And so as we come to this time of year, just ask you a simple question. How are your, your hope reserves doing? Do you describe yourself as a person of hope? A person that feels hopeful? Again, maybe you can really relate to Zachariah and Elizabeth's predicament. Again, maybe you've been plodding along faithfully, dutifully, but you continue to carry discouragement. Maybe you're even slightly jaded or bitter towards God or your heart's sick. Let me say, if that's you this morning, please keep listening because the story gets a lot better. That brings us to our our second observation about our passage here. And it's this, that God's good news will find its way to us even though we may have forgotten that it exists. God's good news will find its way to us even though we may have forgotten that it exists right here is Zachariah serving faithfully in the temple as a priest he's called in by lot it's a casting of essentially a, a, a die throwing it out his name gets called he goes in to offer incense this was right outside the holy of holies the big veil that hid from the people and from the priest the ark of the covenant the altar of incense not much bigger than this table in fact would have been right there and he goes in to burn incense there. And as he's doing that, right on the other side of it appears the angel Gabriel. And the angel comes, the archangel Gabriel no less, bringing good news, joy and gladness, as he says. It's going to come to you. Many are going to rejoice, Zechariah, at this child's birth. But Zechariah, as we've seen, is unsure. He's unsure. He doesn't know if this is going to be true or not. And that's because it's been so long since he's heard any good news. It's been a long time since the people of God have heard any news, good or bad, from God. In fact, most historians will say from the time the Old Testament closes, as we know it, the book of Malachi, all the way up to the beginning of the Gospels is over 400 years. It's a long time to wait. You can understand and see how good news may be hard to come by and hard to recognize in a time period like that. I think Luke is actually also drawing from echoes of the Exodus here. In Exodus 6, verse 9, it's where Moses is going to the people of God. and He says, God is going to deliver you, but the scriptures tell us they couldn't receive that message. They couldn't receive it because their spirit was broken. Couldn't recognize the good news. And I wonder if as well, one of the reasons that Zechariah maybe perhaps missed the good news here, at the beginning at least, was because... This story, this good news that the angel brings, while it involved him and Elizabeth, it didn't revolve around him and Elizabeth. And it could have been that Zechariah was looking for a story that was going to be centered upon him. And here's what's amazing about what the angel angel says the angel does say, Your prayers are answered. This story does involve you, Zechariah, but it doesn't revolve around you. You will have a son. He will bring great joy and gladness to you and your wife. But here's what you need to know that's not the end of the story. Just that you get a son out of this because this son has a greater purpose. His primary purpose is not to simply bring you joy or gladness, God has a bigger purpose for him. He's going to do a lot to prepare the hearts and minds of the people of God to receive the Lord. He'll be involved in reformation, recreation. John, your son, will pave the way for the Messiah. This is what the angel says to him. And so he says, Yes, you have a part in this. But that's it, you have a part in this larger story, Zechariah. And here's the thing this season, as we think about Christmas, as we think about Advent, as you watch TVs, you watch commercials, as you scroll through your news feed, the world will tell you that everything is about you. What you need, what you should ask for, what you should expect for Christmas. But our great struggle, folks, is that we don't need to hear that it's all about us. We need to hear the good news that we get to be a part of something bigger. Because any story that centers upon us is gonna leave us short. It's going to come up short by fulfilling us. It's not going to fulfill us. But if we hear the good news that we actually get to be invited into a story that's bigger than us and play a role in that, that's good news. This is what the angel tells Zechariah here. That your story, Zechariah, and your son's story will make sense only within the larger story of God's great and grand rescue mission. third observation from our passage here that when our hope reserves as we've been calling them are depleted often what God gives to restore us can feel like punishment when our hope reserves are running on empty what God can give us to restore us may feel harsh or may feel like a punishment we've already seen that as a result of his lack of faith Zechariah was made mute by the angel and it is true that a lack of faith is sin on Zechariah's part and I think as a priest and leader in Israel, knowing the stories of the people from the Old Testament that had gone before him, we might expect him to to know better, to not respond like this, to respond with some form of faith or excitement or joy about this message. He would have been familiar with these stories, but he responds with how shall I know and we see then that the angel says, you will be mute and silent. For nine months, by the way. The whole length of Elizabeth's pregnancy. You might look at that and say, man, that seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? He ask a question about how will I know this, and he's silenced for nine months. But I would suggest to you this, perhaps before we begin to consider that a harsh sentence or a harsh punishment that we maybe hold that up and turn it on its head a little bit and look at that idea of being made silent for nine months not so much as a quote punishment but maybe perhaps as a gift what would happen to us you and I if we were silent for nine months you didn't say a word for nine months not a sound came out of your mouth How might that impact your relationship with God? Some of you spouses are like, please make that happen to my spouse. I would love that. But what would that do for our relationship with God? How would that reveal to us an increase for a longing of his word and his ways for his people? I think all these things were happening in Zechariah's life. Imagine that as he is sitting in silence for the months after this episode, that again, as a a trained priest familiar with the Scriptures, his mind would have been going back to these places in the Old Testament and these prophecies that talk about the importance and the value of being still, of being quiet before God. Verses like Zephaniah 1.7, be silent before God. For the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guest. Surely he was thinking about that verse. And Zechariah's silence, we've already said, it may initially have felt strange and perhaps even unjust, but I think as time went by, he would have come to see it for the gift that it is. Because silence before a holy God, considering his ways, pondering, contemplating his counsel... I would think is a pretty good way to have our hope restored and rekindled. When we realize it's not about us. But it's about something bigger that he's doing in us and through us and among us. And perhaps during this Advent season, we've been talking about our own hope reserves. It may be that we need to consider silence as well. Not as a disciplinary punishment of sorts, but as a way perhaps... To re engage our hearts with what matters. It's a cacophony of noise and sound throughout this season. We're all well aware of it and familiar with it, but what would it look like for us to just be silent? Turn off our phones, turn off our news feeds, turn off the radio in the car. Consider the ways in which God might be working through that silence in our own hearts. The day of the Lord is near, He's consecrating His guests for His arrival. I want to offer you one final observation about our passage here. I want you to notice the pattern that Luke lays out here, which is this that God will lift up the lowly, he will humble the proud. I wonder if you see here in our passage how Zechariah and Elizabeth essentially switch places as the story comes to its climax and then concludes. You have on one hand, up here, Zechariah, the the man, the the priest, the educated, the wise, the seasoned leader who does work literally in the temple of God, in front of God's presence. He's up here, and then down here, way below, you have Elizabeth, the, the barren one, the forgotten, the scorned, one who suffers in her own form of silence. And you see them actually kind of shift places, and so towards the end, we see Elizabeth high, lifted up in her own sense because what happens with Elizabeth? What does she say? Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach from among the people. And so her silence ends as Zechariah's begins. She is the one who is able to offer praise to God as Zechariah is humbled in silence. But here's the good news because God loves us and God loves Zachariah. He may be silent, but he's not hopeless, because now he's beginning to see what God might actually be doing in this strange and beautiful occurrence that's just played out over the last few weeks. The close reader of Luke's gospel is going to find out that this is what the Messiah has come for. To bring good news to the poor. To lift up the lowly to give voice to the voiceless, to comfort the afflicted. And in the weeks ahead, during our study of Advent, Luke is going to show us how God is going to accomplish those very things for the most unlikely of means. We're going to see in Mary's prayer that this is what he does. We're going to see in Zachariah's prophecy, after his mouth and tongue are finally open and loosed again, that he has learned as well that this is what God does. This is how he acts. This is how he works. And Luke's telling of Advent is all about preparing a people to receive the Lord. And here's the thing, and I'll leave you with this. There's no better landing spot to receive the Lord than the soft and fertile soil of a humble heart. And that's what had to happen with Zachariah. And we see that Elizabeth heart had been humbled as well through her own experience, through years of her own experiences of loss and sadness and grief. And they are prepared to receive what God has for them through such things. And we see it as well in Mary. We see it with the shepherds. We see it with Simeon and Anna. What that means is that if we come to this season of Advent with humble hearts as well, we ought to know that we will be prepared to receive the good that the Lord has for us. When He comes to us, we will be ready to receive Him when our hearts have been humbled as well. So here's the invitation. O come, let us adore him. And let us have our hope rekindled as we consider the wonder, the miracle of Advent, the incarnation that God will become flesh and dwell among us for our sake to bring us into the good that he has for us. Let's pray together.